Well, it is a great joy to be at Paul's Baptist Church again. When I landed uh, yesterday in Milwaukee, I thought uh, they've landed in the wrong place. Because <laughs> every time I've been here in February, it's a big snow, okay? So I thought the plane had landed in the wrong place, but uh, thank God it, it had not. Uh, I used to say for a long time, if you, and by the way, my favorite song is And Can It Be, okay? And uh, I, I used to say for many, many years, uh, Brother Van Gilden, that if you haven't heard people in England sing that song, you haven't heard it sung. I think after this morning, I'm going to change that and say, if you haven't heard people at Falls Baptist Church <laughs> to sing, and can it be, uh, you've never heard it sung. That was absolutely phenomenal. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, it'll be easy to find, so if you're able and would like to stand for the reading of God's Word, uh, let's do that. Matthew chapter 7, uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, scholars have debated whether the Sermon on the Mount is one sermon or an accumulation of various sayings of the Lord. Uh, I don't think there's any real question about that. Uh, I'm not a scholar, uh, but I, th I think it was one sermon, okay? And by the way, if it was, when those folks went home that day, they had spiritual indigestion, amen? <laughs> because there's a lot of meat in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. At the end of that sermon, Jesus says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these things of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rains descended and the floods came and the, and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Now the very opposite of that. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Dear Lord, speak to our hearts today through your word. And Lord, I, I love these people. I, they've been such a blessing to me through the years. I've learned so much from them. And I sure like to be a blessing to them, but I know the only way I can do that is that you would bless and use me. I'm, uh, you're, you're the vine. Uh, I'm just a branch. And away from you, I can do absolutely nothing. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. So, Lord, I pray for your strength today in Jesus' name. Amen. It is important how we hear. So many times we hear, but we don't listen. I well remember a rebuke from my first pastor, Brother Jack Ratliff, when I was 16, 17 years old. I was sitting behind a lady with a small child and had evidently decided that it was my responsibility to entertain that child during the service. <laughs> Brother Ratliff stopped 
his message for a minute, and said to me, Don, Mrs. Wilson will take care of her child. You listen to me. Now, I, 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 to be honest with you, I did not appreciate that rebuke at that time, okay? But uh, I, I deserved it, and it, it, it's been good, okay? Uh, uh, how, many, how many of you husbands have been sitting at breakfast table or some other time, and, and your wife is talking, and you're thinking about a hundred different things, and, stuff, right? and uh, all of a sudden, and I, I don't know how many times I, for this happened to me, uh, a Virginia would say, Don, are you listening? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm listening. Oh, what did I say? Well, you said a lot, okay? <laughs> So uh, uh, it, it's very important that we hear the truth. And I'm so thankful, uh, Dr. Van Gilderen, that uh, through the years, from the time I was saved to 16 years old until now, that uh, God has providentially put people in my life that have taught me some things that I needed to know. Years ago, uh, Robert Fulgrim wrote, wrote a book, and the title of it was, Everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. So basically what I'm going to tell you today is how God taught me to give. And by the way, everything I've needed to know about giving, God taught me in the church. Uh, you go to church, you listen to the word of God. Now so many times we hear, you say, yeah, with a loud voice like yours, we can't help but hearing, okay. But sometimes we hear, uh, but we don't listen. And, and sometimes we listen and we don't do. But uh, this morning I want us to think about how God taught me to give. Now, now remember, anything I say this morning, I'm not bragging about Don Sis. I was born in the midst of the Depression, 1933. And uh, that won't take you long to figure out, okay, you're 89 years old. And I know what some of you are thinking. I thought you were 109, okay? <laughs> but time after time, I've gone to church. I've listened to the Word of God. The man of God opened the Bible and taught me. So how God taught me to give. And by the way, the devil has duped us into thinking. The more we give, the less we'll have. Which is totally contrary to what the Bible teaches. Given it shall be given unto you, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men given to your bosom with the same measure you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. And in the Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 11, uh, the Bible says in verse 24, and it's talking about an agricultural illustration, and here's a farmer just sowing seed. There is he that soweth. You know, just sowing seeds everywhere. And by the way, uh, when a farmer sows a seed, he, he didn't think, that's the end of that seed. No, 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 no. That seed is going to die, and it's going to produce much more than it was. And the Bible also says in the next passage of, of part of that verse, there is that withhold us more than meat, and it tendeth to poverty. There is that soweth and yet increaseth. There is that withholdeth more than his meat, and it tendeth to poverty. 
Now, I've heard people say, well, I just don't like to hear preachers talk about giving. Well, don't read your Bible then. Because in our King James Bible, uh, 811 times the word give appears. Now, to be sure, most of the time it's talking about what God gave us, but it talks much about what we are to give to God. So let me tell you, and again, I have absolutely nothing to brag about. Uh, it, it's all of God. Okay, I, I started with nothing. I, I, at our 50th anniversary of my wife and I, I, I told the people, I said, when we got married uh, 50 years ago, we had nothing. And through the 50 years, we managed to keep most of it, okay? <laughs> but here's how God taught me to tithe. Uh, Virginia and I got married in 1952, and uh, we joined the Black Oak Baptist Church in Gary, Indiana. And we had been members there very long, maybe a couple of months at the most. And uh, uh, my pastor, Brother W.E. Jones, opened his Bible, and he began to teach from Malachi chapter 3. Will a man rob God? Yet ye robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offering. You're cursed with a curse. Uh, you've robbed me, even the whole nation. Bring you all the tithes in the storehouse and see that, uh, th that there may be meat in my house and prove me herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive. And that day I sat there and listened. Now, I, I guess even I was 16 years old, so I, I, I think I'd heard a message on tithing before. Uh, but but if, I, if I did, it, it didn't make any difference. And you've heard a lot of messages that didn't make any difference to you at all. Did you ever hear about the three uh, fellows that went deer hunting? Two deacons and a preacher. And uh, a big buck deer appeared. All of them shot, bang, 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 you know. And, and they all ran up there and the deer you know, fell over dead. And they was all fussing about which one of our bullets killed that deer. And uh, uh, there was a game warden standing there right, and he he came over to him and he said, what's the argument? And they told him. And uh, uh, they, they said, uh, two of us are deacons and this is our preacher. And, and all of us shot, but we all think it was our bullet that killed that deer. And, and uh, the game warden picked up the deer by his antlers, looked around, examined him. He said, which one's the preacher? And the preacher lifted his hand. He said, all right, it was your bullet. The deacon said, how in the world do you know that? He said, well, the bullet went in one ear and out the other. Okay. <laughs> so I, I had probably heard about tithing, but if I did, it went in one ear and out the other. But that day I sat there and listened, and I thought, number one, I don't want to rob God. Number two, I want the blessings of God. And at the end of that message, and now and I could have walked out of church that day and said to Brother John, Hey, Brother Jones, you taught me a lot today. That was a good message. I appreciate it. And that wouldn't have done me any good. But that day I went forward and I said to Brother Jones, I believe what you preached today. Now, this is 1952. And from this, this moment forward, everything God gives me, 
I will give at least one-tenth of that back to God through my local church. And by the way, when I said that, and Brother Jones told the congregation what I said, okay? And when he did, the, the Black Oak Treasurer, uh, the Treasurer of Black Oak Baptist Church didn't jump up and say, well, now that Don's going to tithe, our financial problems are over. I was working at King's Foundry making a dollar an hour. My tithe was $4 a week. And I can hear somebody say, good night, if I only had, you know, $4 a week, I'd be glad to tithe. But when you only have $36 left, that's not much, amen? Now, what are you saying? I'm saying this. My $4 a week tithe did not make an impact on Black Oak Baptist Church, but it made an impact on me, and it proved to me that if I do what God told me to do, God would take care of me. By the way, when I first started, it was pretty legalistic, and that's all right. You got to start somewhere. And if I worked overtime, made $45, I'd give $4.50. I didn't want to overdo it. And, you know, I have a lot of people even ask me legalistic questions about tithing now. Brother Sister, you believe we're going to tithe off the net income or the gross income? And I've heard that so many times I've got a good answer. God's promised to bless you if you tithe. You've got to decide, do you want his net blessings or gross blessings? Amen. <laughs> now, I don't know about you. I'd, I'd rather have his gross blessings. 1968, I was uh, uh, at uh, your, your pastor's father's church, Marquette Manor Baptist Church in Chicago, Illinois. Nice and downers grove, I think. But uh, I preached Sunday morning, Sunday night. I was home on furlough from Japan. And uh, Dr. Van Gelderman said to uh, Brother Sis, on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we're going to have Brother Billy McCarroll from Cicero Bible Church to come and teach our church about faith promise giving. I'd never heard that term, faith promise giving. And uh, but from the time that uh, Dr. William McCarroll began to talk about faith promise giving, and he, he used, uh, uh, in Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night, uh, he expounded 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And he said, now, there is one subject to both of these chapters, and it's this. It's an offering. And he said the offering was not for the church at Corinth, but it was to be given through the church at Corinth, and it's to go to others to explain that's a mission offering. Now, I'll never forget what he said. He said that three things. He said, number one, it's simple. And I thought, I like that, simple. I've heard preachers preach, and when they get through, I wouldn't have any idea what they said. I love simple things. I'm glad Virginia loves simple things. She married me, okay? <laughs> Abraham Lincoln once said, God must have loved simple people. He made so many of them. He said, you have a mission conference. You have mission emphasis. And then sometime during that time, you urge everyone to take a faith promise commitment card and to make a commitment to give something every week to missions above the regular tithe and offering. So I, I said, and listen, that, that's great. And then he said, it's successful. And he told about church after church where he had introduced faith promise giving, and they were just giving nominally, and then they began to give exponentially to missions. 
it's successful. And I thought, well, I, I like that. If, if you're going to do something, you might as well be successful, amen? And then he said, it's scriptural. And I thought, okay, if it's scriptural, then everybody ought to do it. But I remember the verse that he emphasized more than any other verse. It was in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. If you have your Bible, you might like to look at that. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. And uh, listen to it. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, look at the first two words of that verse. Every man. Now, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth about giving to missions. And he says, every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Now, if you don't have a, a Bible commentary, you don't have a teacher to teach you, but you've got to figure this out all by yourself. Who do you think Paul expected to give something? Every, what? Every man. And sometimes you say that, and all the women say, amen, let the men give. <laughs> but it's not talking about gender there. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. Everybody ought to give something every week to mission above your regular tithe and your offering. I made a horrible mistake. I've made hundreds of them, okay? But I said one time in preaching about this, and urging everybody, you know, men, women, boys, girls, everybody to make a faith promise commitment. And I, I said, now, now my wife does not work, but she has her own faith promise. And when I got home that day, Virginia said, Don, who washes your clothes? <laughs> who cleans your house? You know, who, who cooks for you? You know, man, she preached to me big time. <laughs> And, and I listened that day. I didn't just hear amen. <laughs> but everybody ought to give something. Hey, parents, teach your children to give to missions. Okay? Uh, I read in uh, Randy Alcorn's Generous Giving page one time about the testimony of John D. Rockefeller. When he was a boy, 10, 11 years old, he delivered a paper called The Grit. I, I delivered that myself. I didn't become a billionaire like him. Okay. But uh, when he got home that, that first day after collecting the money, he had 10 dimes. And his mother set him down at the table and put those 10 dimes in a row. Picked up one of them and said, John, now this dime belongs to the Lord. One-tenth of everything God gives you belongs to the Lord. Now here's his testimony. The world's first billionaire can you imagine being a billionaire? Can you imagine being a millionaire? Now, especially some of you students, you'd have a hard time being a thousandaire, amen? <laughs> Here's the testimony of the world's first billionaire. 
If my mother had not told me to tithe my first dollar, I would have had a hard time tithing my first million. And I'll guarantee you, there was a Baptist preacher somewhere that glad his mother taught him to tithe. <laughs> he gave hundreds of millions of dollars to the work of God. Every man, according as he can figure out from his budget, so let him give. Did I quote that right? No. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, according as he or she purposes in his heart. Any about time that we'll let God get a hold of our heart. November the 15th of last year, the world's population reached 8 billion people. Think about that. 8 billion people. Every day, well over 250,000 people die. And by the way, every day more than that are born. And by the way, every day when 250 people die, every one of them goes either to heaven or to hell. By the way, there is no in-between place. I've read my Bible through for many, many years, at least once every year. And there's no in-between place. Heaven or hell. And the sad thing is this. Of those 8 billion people living on planet Earth today, conservatively speaking, half of them have never one time heard a simple gospel message. Nobody has knocked on their door and said, do you know you're saved and going to heaven? Many of them do not even have one verse of the Bible translated into their language. Hey, folks, we got a big job. Jesus said it very plainly. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now the gospel is free. Doesn't cost anything. It costs God his son. It costs Jesus his life. But thank God for us, it's free. Amen. The wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In other words, God's not trying to sell anybody something. God's not trying to get somebody to work for something. God is offering to all of the 8 billion people a gift. And the gift is eternal life. But the sad thing is, many of them have never heard. I remember an 87-year-old woman getting saved in Japan from an evangelistic group that went out from our school. Matsumoto-san led an 87-year-old woman. 
She came back home so excited, told Virginia and I about it. And she said, after that woman got saved, she began to cry. And she said, I've always known there must be a God like that somewhere. But I never heard about him till tonight. She heard. She got saved. What, what are you going to do, person? God taught me how to tithe, Brother W. John. God taught me how to give the faith promise by listening to Dr. Billy McCarroll. And I had lunch with your dad, Dr. McCarroll. Tuesday and Wednesday, I picked their brain about faith promise giving. I went back and taught my church, Calvary Baptist Church, Harvey, Illinois, where I was a member about it. And in 1968, I made my first faith promise commitment. I took a card like you've got. I wrote on there. By faith in God, I promised to give $5 a week to missions. You say, well, Brother Sis, uh, you didn't have much faith, did you? Now, modern missionaries, they won't believe this. But I was a missionary in Japan. I had less than $500 a month support. It took some faith. Hey, by the way, for the first four years, I doubled my faith promise. Next year, I gave $10. Next year, I gave $20. Next year, I gave $40. The next year, I made, gave $80. And pretty soon, I realized, I can't continue this, okay? But for 55 years, I've increased my giving every year. And the least I've ever increased is $5 a week. If you've never made a faith promise, your prayer ought to be, dear God, how much would you have me to give? If you're already giving, then your prayer ought to be, dear God, how much would you have me to increase my giving? Paul said, when your faith is increased, we, the missionaries, will be enabled by you to preach the gospel in the regions beyond. Let me hurry you, tell you about two other giving. 1968, same year, I was preaching in a meeting in Detroit, Michigan. Preacher's meeting. Maybe 25, 30 preachers. And uh, a man spoke before me, Brother Hafford Ogilvy. And he read this verse. I've showed you all things, how that so laboring, you are to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he said, listen to this, it's more blessed to give than receive. Now, I was already tithing. I was giving the faith promise. But to tell you the truth, sometimes it wasn't so joyful, okay? But listen to that man of God tell about the joy of giving. That day, I became a joyful giver. You say, Brother C.S., you like to receive things, sure. All of us like to receive things, amen. But I'll be honest with you. What brings me more joy than receiving things is being able to give to others. It's more joyful to give than receive. Hey, by the way, here's what Jesus is saying. The person that lives to give 
is much happier than the person that lives to get. If you're just living to get something, you're totally dependent on somebody else. My dear friend, if you're living to give, then you can always find somebody, something, some cause that needs you to give. One other thing, real quickly. I resigned as president of BIMI in 2002. I went to a leadership meeting at Lancaster Baptist Church. And uh, Dr. Paul Chappell and Dr. Mark Rasmussen had my future all planned. Now, they hadn't said a word to me about it. <laughs> but they persuaded me that I should come to West Coast Baptist College and teach missions one semester, just one semester. And I thought it was a good idea, and, and I, I was thinking about other things, but I thought that was a good idea, and, and I did. Bottom line is, 2003, we went out for the first time, and we taught missions one semester, 2003, 2004, 2005, 2016, okay. And it was good. But in February of every year, Dr. Van Gilden, they have a, a big offering. Now, when it started out in 1991, it was $20,000. But every year now, it's somewhere between a million five hundred thousand dollars and two million five hundred thousand dollars every year. That's the reason they built all those buildings and so forth. And I was preaching out every Sunday. Virginia had a Sunday school class, so she was standing there teaching. She was listening to Brother Chapel, and she was listening to uh, testimonies. And so we began to pray about what we should give. I said, I tell you what, Virginia, you write down on a piece of paper what you think we ought to give. And I'll write down on a piece of paper what I think we ought to give. And when we revealed what we'd written down, I, I looked at that and here's what I thought. Dr. Paul Chapel had brainwashed you. If we give that much, we'll probably starve this year. But then I got to thinking, wow. Well, she said, we don't have that much now, but we can give so much every month. And I learned about extravagant giving. You want a good example? Just before the crucifixion, over in Jerusalem, the religious leaders got together and they decided, we're going to kill him. We're going to kill him. We've got to get rid of him. Over in Bethany, just a few miles away, the friends of Jesus had gathered. They'd had a wonderful meal together. Mary was there, Martha, Lazarus, Simon, the disciples of the Lord. It was a wonderful time together. You can imagine Mary looking around. And she looked at her brother Lazarus and said, I remember when Lazarus died. Jesus came a little later. Martha and I both told him that he was too late. 
If you'd gotten there early, Lazarus wouldn't have died. But she said, after a while, he said, let's go out to the tombs. And they went out there, and they were crying. And by the way, he did too. Jesus wept. Hey, Bobby, he knew what he was going to do. But he looked around at Martha and Mary and others. They were weeping. And by the way, whatever bothers you bothers him. He's compassionate. He cries with you. And then Jesus said, hey, roll away that stone. And they, they said, but please don't do that. Uh, he's been dead four days. By, by now he stinketh. By the way, after you've been dead four days, it's all right to stink. <laughs> Just don't stink while you're living, amen? <laughs> he's been dead. He, and, and Jesus said, Lazarus. And by the way, somebody as well said, it's a good thing he said Lazarus. Because if he hadn't said Lazarus, if he had just said, come forth, everybody in the graveyard would have got up and got out. And that's the kind of power he had. Lazarus, come forth. And Mary said, I remember my brother coming out of that tomb. Loose him, let him. There he is, look at him. I remember when Simon was a leper. But look at him, he's clean. I remember when I was a sinful woman, wicked, but Jesus cleansed me from all my sin. And she gets to thinking, I've got to do something for him. And she had an alabaster box. By the way, she didn't buy this perfume at Walmart, okay? Judas said it could have been sold for 300 pence a whole year's salary. Very expensive. And she thought, I've got to do something for Jesus. And she broke that alabaster box. And she poured that perfume over the feet of Jesus and got down and wiped his feet with her hair. Love does not ask how much, just how. Now, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You've heard simple messages about tithing. Your pastor, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, he gets up and proclaims dust at the word of God. You've heard. I hope you listen, but I hope you do more than listen. I hope you listen. You listen. You've heard about tithing. You've heard about faith, promise, giving. You've heard about joyful giving. You've heard about extravagant giving. Are you just going to hear? Are you listening? Are you going to do? I mean, if we hear something and don't do it, we're, we're foolish. If we hear something and do it, then it's like the man that built his house on a strong foundation, the rock. If we just hear and don't listen and don't obey, 
It's like the man that built his house upon the sand.